Janara Nirenberg here with Launching Deeply, and I'm sitting here with Noah Evslin, who is an incredible writer and producer who's worked on shows like Grey's Anatomy, Hawaii Five-O, Scandal, um, the host of an incredible podcast, Screaming into the Hollywood Abyss, and I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Noah. Thank you for having me. I'm always glad up for a chat with you. Yeah. Okay. So let's start off by like, what are you up to right now? Are you primarily writing? Are you producing? And then maybe you can tell us a little bit about like how you got to where you are right now. Sure. I am um, just wrapping season three of NCIS Hawaii, which is my current quote unquote day job where I'm a writer producer. Uh, so I wrapped actually last week. So when, when you're on a show actively, there's a one set where you have a certain type of schedule. And then when you're off a show, you have a different type of schedule, but it doesn't mean that the type of work you're doing slightly changes, but you're still filling your day every day with, you know, with the work. And so if we want to like, and I, I obviously was able to, not obviously for those of you who don't know me, but working on NCIS Hawaii allowed me to move back to Hawaii where I'm originally from. So my, I spent 15 or 17 years maybe in Los Angeles working as a writer and a producer and obviously as an assistant and all the things that happened on the way up. And then finally reached a point in my career that I was able to not work in Hollywood anymore and could continue doing my career for Hawaii. And the pandemic was a big part of that change because you and I are talking, doing this podcast over Zoom and Zoom became much more prevalent where before the the COVID, nobody was taking or very few people were taking meetings over Zoom. So we can, you know, if you want to get into like the nitty gritty of my schedule, we can, but that's like the day to day, but that's kind of what, in a nutshell, what I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's so amazing. I can't wait to hear more about what that's like, like navigating this life and entertainment from Hawaii, which honestly sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but let's back up for a sec. Like, how did you get into writing? You mentioned you were in LA for a long time. Did you study script writing or how did you start? Yeah, no, I mean, yes and no. There's no, not not like through a, a MBA, an MBA, it's not an MBA, through a like a MA program or, you know, I, there was no official studying of screenwriter for me. I was a econ lit major in college. And then I was a, I have a master's degree in Eastern classic literature. And then I taught for a while. So although writing, especially poetry and other things were really important to me early on. And when I was in my young twenties, I was, I wrote a bunch of poetry, obviously, poetry is dying sadly there's there's almost no career to be had in poetry anymore but i loved creating little emotional moments in time uh and then i was writing uh pretty bad novels i think i wrote three of them and uh you know i wasn't really good at that form i was much better at poetry but then i realized somewhere along the way that the combination of poetry and prose really is screenwriting because we are doing sort of we are capturing the same emotional moments in time and we're doing it in a very condensed way, formulaic way in some ways, because we have to keep it to a certain page limit scenes are. And in order to figure that part out, I did have to study. And so I'm a big believer. If you follow my social media, that there are no rules really that you there, that there's, you could say there's a set of rules and then there's always someone who's broken those rules successfully. So it's really hard to tell a young screenwriter, you need to follow these rules. And when screenwriters do follow rules, 
the writing tends to become overly formulaic and that's really hard to sell. That said, you can't, uh, you know, this is a podcast and you can't see, but, and you can't see it either, but right to my left is a low bookshelf and it's filled with screenwriting books because I actually did read them all. And when I was, I loved, I loved it. I loved reading all the different theories and reading all the different histories. And then when I finally got into Guild, you get sent all of the, uh, for your consideration screenplays for different awards. So I have all the books of, you know, different screenplays that I really enjoyed the movies for. So I got to read how my favorite screenwriters did it. And for a long time, when I was coming up, there wasn't an easy way to get screenplays. So there, you know, you could go to the WGA library, but and occasionally like a garage sale, there'd be a random screenplay for sale, but it was hard to find. So like the, getting these things and learning the craft by reading was really helpful to me and by writing. And eventually, you know, I was in Hawaii. I had to decide what to do. And my wife, luckily, you know, we were married. I've been married for 20 years, still married. Uh, we're, you know, we decided together, let's sort of give this Hollywood thing a chance. And we flew there at the very end of the last writer's strike in 2008. And uh, we began to, you know, try to make it happen. And that's, you know, its own huge journey of ups and downs and whatever. But that's sort of, you know, how I began and my mindset. And I did, it, before, moving is a big deal. You don't, for anyone who wants to be a most screenwriters don't aren't from LA. They have to come from somewhere else. So moving is a big deal. And just having done the work beforehand going, I didn't move until I think I had 10 screenplays written. And then I'm like, okay, now I really got to do something, or this is going to be a hobby for the rest of my life. And that's what, that's when I eventually we got on a plane and, you know, did the whole dance once we landed. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love this. I didn't know all these details. I know we've chatted before, but it's so interesting. Um, this theme comes up a lot, like in all the different people that I'm talking with, you know, just that it's, there's often an unconventional path there. It's not so straightforward as like, I went to college, I studied this thing, and then I got a job in the industry, and then I moved my way up, blah, 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 you know. Um, But I would love to hear more of the like the details of the craft. I'm really intrigued. You mentioned capturing these emotional moments. So how does something like that, like an inclination of capturing an emotional moment through words, how does that then expand into writing an entire screenplay, like being able to weave together all of those moments into, you know, something like with an arc and everything that seems like a huge um, skill jump or like an expansion of skill. Can you, can you walk me through that? Yeah. And and I don't think anyone's ever asked me to do this type of deep dive into my process. So I, you know, I, I have a podcast we'll talk about later and we do talk about, and I once was doing a bunch of process related live chats on Twitter for, with, with different screenwriters about their process. But, and in fact, I don't think I've ever actually spoken about this out loud, but I, you know, in order to answer that question effectively, go down all the way back for me to when I was about seventh, seventh or eighth grade. And I come, by the way, I come from a family of writers. My grandfather was a writer. My grandmother was a writer. Each of my, my parent, my, my dad wrote a book. My uncle wrote a book. Like they're all, they all, there's a lot of writing. And my great, my great uncle was the poet laureate of the United States way back when. So like there right. was writing was really important in my family to say the least. And, uh, and the, when I was about in seventh grade or eighth grade, I began to hear, you don't want to say you were hearing voices because that means, you know, you're crazy. I wasn't going crazy, but I get this weird feeling and I'd hear 
turns of phrases or I would see something in my head that was felt alien to my own experience. And so I, in seventh and eighth grade, I began to write. And I think that's what writers begin to do when they get this weird feeling that we can't explain. I think uh, Ken Kesey called it being an organic transcriber of someone else's story. And I think that's even why he quit writing was like he didn't like to be someone else's pen. But for me, it's kind of like a flow through. I think Brian Koppelman on his podcast calls it going into the zone for writing. You're trying to access something and you're, you're trying to find that flow state. And the, the, it doesn't come often when you're a professional writer, more often than not, you're just doing the grind. You're writing. You got it. That's, you know, in like any professional sport, you're not always going to be in the zone. Some, some days you just got to go out there and throw the ball or hit the ball. But so I was hearing these things. I began to write short stories and somewhere along the line of every uh, professional writer, there was a teacher who said you were good or a parent who said, you are really good at this. And they give you that encouragement and you, you chase that high where somebody takes a piece of your output, your creative output, whatever you're doing and likes it. And you want to, you want to repeat that. You want to duplicate that. And even though our, we can get talk about later, how hard our job is miserable. Sometimes I think that's the <laughs> thing we're chasing all the time, yeah. no matter you know, how high we get. So um, to your question about like, like those emotional moments, I found that I was better at writing, I really like to limit my poems to one page back in the day. I haven't written a poem in a long time. And I found that I was taking on voices. Uh, I was taking on personas when I was writing. I'd often write as like a, I was 20 something, as like a 50 year old man whose like wife had died or was going through a divorce or even a woman or, and trying to kind of deal with it. I'm, a complex emotion while also sometimes doing something else. So kind of like to kind of find the emotional purity of something going on in a life and, and doing it in a, in like a, a snapshot of words. Like if I could describe the scene and the moment uh, with language, that, that was super effective to me. And I really, at some point early on wanted to be both a graphic artist and a, a like a, like working with words. So it was a combination of like graphic poetry where I would have, you could see, the image I was trying to make while also writing words. Now, what I'm getting to is that really is screenwriting and movie making, right? There's images and there's words. It's the combination of two things. So I just didn't know. I was too naive to know that screenwriting was really a thing. I'm from the island of Kauai. It was really small. Like, you don't think about it too much. Like Screenwriters weren't that famous back then. So it took, like, I think Lost coming out, filming in Hawaii, being this huge thing, Damon Lindelof being a huge name that became a really fan Carlton Cuse. So later on I got to work for, they, they became famous as screenwriters and you're like, Oh wait. And then Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino. And as you're going into it, you realize, no, there are these famous screenwriters that, that uh, are out there and, and actually someone writes these things. So that's, that was like the process of realizing I could do this. And then of course, when you make that switch, cause that's at the root of what your question was, uh, it's hard because you have to actually link these images together. And sometimes there's just, you know, there's like the pipes. You got to move the story forward without capturing emotion. You got to get your character from point A to point B. You have to do all these other technical things and make it feel effortless and and hide it from the reader who doesn't want to read 20 pages of moving character from point A to point B or the exposition in a crime scene. I work I worked on a few crime shows. So like that kind of thing is, is there's, such a mixture, I think, of art and craft that 
that you have to learn both. And often we just lean on the craft, to, to be honest, because the art on any given day might elude us. Wow. Okay. Incredibly put. I really appreciate the deep dive because I think um, it's amazing hearing about what the experience was for you, like from early on, sort of like hearing voices in a way, like voices coming to you and then you being able to kind of like put those voices into character, put them down on the page. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that every writer, whether it's script writing, memoir, journalism, like every writer has some kind of relationship to what you're talking about. I think um, in my case, I would say that it's a very palpable energy. It's like a physical kind of force in a way that needs to come out. And it's often the result of really taking in so much, right? Like just sort of being an observer of the world and you're just noticing so much and writing, of course, is a way to synthesize all of that. And so when you do get it all down on the page, it's like, it's like literal catharsis because you're like, okay. And um, I use the word translate a lot. I know you were using the word transcribe and it's, you know, kind of the same thing. But for me, it feels like I'm translating something. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate your description. So, okay. So then how do you go from that experience? Like you, you identify something, you name it, you realize, okay, this is an actual career path. And then like, how do you go into the practicalities? Like, did you have to do a bunch of networking? Were you applying for actual jobs or what, what was that transition like? Yeah, I mean, this story I've told on my podcast, but I will tell it again here. And by the way, for those listening, the name of our podcast is Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss. And it's a very industry-related podcast where we interview showrunners. Mostly I'm in your seat just asking the questions, but occasionally we'll do a little chit-chat and my stories will come out. And so in this this case, I feel like, you know, obviously preparation is really important. Like I said, I had 10 screenplays before I moved and doing the work is super important. But I, I landed in Hollywood in 2008 and I had a lot of friends that I made back then, aspiring screenwriters who were super talented, as talented as I am or I was, and they never got their, their, they never got their break. And I consider it like a game of pachinko and we're all balls. We're all the little balls. And you have to get into, there's only a certain amount of holes that a ball can fall into, and your ball has to fall into that hole. And the ball, everyone who has a ball has done the work to get a ball, and now you just, just have to fall through the pachinko game to fall into the right basket and for things to work out for you. And so I got, you know, lucky, I would say. Uh, there was privilege, obviously, we talk about this as well. Like, I, I'm, there's no nepotism in a way, like I didn't have a and my my grandfather was a writer, but I wasn't like there was a powerful uncle in the business who who helped me. But there was, uh, and I said this before, my own, I was from Kauai, small island, knew nobody. One of the big dilemmas was like, what do you do when you land? You don't you're gonna just move and then we're gonna throw screenplays over hedges. Like, what's the plan to get yourself read? And um, my aunt, who is from New York, best friend, had a daughter. And so my aunt said to me, my mom's like, you know, my Noah wants to move. He wants to try this, but he doesn't know anyone. And my aunt was like, well, my best friend's daughter's a screenwriter in Hollywood. Maybe 
you know, he could reach out to her and maybe she could read his screenplays and who knows something could happen. Like that's all how, you know, that's a very naive way of doing it, but that, that was my only way, you know, I didn't have any other options. And so that person who I reached out to at the time was a mid-level writer on a show called Men and Trees, but her name at the time was Jenny Snyder. She's now Jenny Snyder Ehrman, who has created uh, Jane the Virgin and is just Matlock on CBS is her show, which is about to air in the fall. So she succeeded in a major way and she was a big early supporter of mine and still, you know, has been really helpful in my career of being not only reading me, but encouraging me to move out to Hollywood uh, and then once out in Hollywood, I met somebody else who read me, submitted my work to their reps, their reps signed me, uh, and then their manager signed me, and then we found an agent. So that was like, that 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 can be a really big hurdle for a lot of people. And that part of my career went fairly smoothly, thank God. But then it was like, a lot of writers think once they have the agent, once they have the manager, that's it, they're in gates wide open, stuff's getting to everybody and a career is going to begin. And that's not the case almost for anyone. Definitely wasn't the case for me. So it was like, now I have an agent and manager and I'm not working still. So like I went backwards to interning. I had some like money saved up from the old work I had done as a, you know, in Hawaii. And my wife was working and I interned for a little while because I didn't know anything about anything. And then I became an assistant and was like serving coffee and I was in my mid thirties. So it was like going backwards from being, I taught at the college and I was also owned a company where we did live concerts and shows. And I had lots of people that would work for me on different occasions and running my own business. And then being the guy that's serving other people coffee in my mid thirties. But that's, I had to wrap my head around that and be okay with that. And I was, cause I was in it. I was like, now I'm through a certain set of gates and those gates have my career hasn't started necessarily, but I'm now watching things getting made and going to set and being in it. I was in a, you know, I, I was in a writer's room as an assistant. So it was like, this is, you know, how it's all made. And, and I was able to learn and process and my writing got better. And eventually that, that helped me, you know, get my first work. Yeah, I think that experience is gold, right? Because I mean, that's the big mystery, I think, for so many people who do want to get into the industry is like, how does it actually work? What is a writer's room? And you know, how do you get in there? What do you do? And and all of that. Um, and I think what I really appreciate about what you're sharing as well is just, you know, the humility that it requires, you know, you were successful, you were teaching, and you, you had your own business, and then you had to go in and learn something brand new. Um, in your podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, everybody should go listen, Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss, have you noticed this theme pop up of, you know, the humility that it requires um, working in a creative industry like entertainment? Because sometimes you are like at the top, top, right? And you're like on a high, like a show does really well or something, and then it ends, right? And then you've got to like figure out the next thing. And there are periods of quiet, there are periods of no pay. Like in my view, it requires a lot of patience and humility. And I'm wondering if you've observed that, like with all the interviews that you've yeah, been doing. I, with- I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely there had to be a certain amount of humility to go serve coffee. And so one of the uh, other assistants, or I think was a writer at the time, was like, I know, we all, I know you're a writer, but right now you just need to serve the best cup of coffee you know how to. Right. That's the, and that was the advice because nobody, when you're on a staff 
we all know that the assistants have ambitions to be writers, but at this second, they're doing a very different job, right? We, you know, so there's that work hard, make friends. These friends will help you out later in your careers, but make genuine friends. Don't, don't just, you know, in Hollywood, often people look behind you to see who else is in the party that they, that will help them more. Don't be that person. Just be genuine, be authentic. And, uh, but, and you, yes, humility, but more, more, there's also sort of a lack of humility in a weird way because deep down you need to know you can do this or why go through the pain. Like I didn't have to be an assistant making zero money, not a non-livable wage basically at the time of my life. Like there's a lot of things, other things I could have done, but I, I, I knew deep down that, that if given the opportunity, I was hoping I could succeed. You never know until you're actually, um, you know, playing the game, right. Until you're in the coach puts you in, but the, um, but you do get, you know, sort of a related word, I think, is you get humbled a lot. Mm. You, you know, you, you get mm. humbled by this business because, like you said, you get fired. You get, there's always a better writer, as my son will often say from Star Wars and other things, there's always a bigger fish. And if that fish swings by, you know, the people that are looking at you with a lot of attention will suddenly look at the other fish and you get no attention no matter where you are in your career. And a lot of the showrunners I've interviewed, that's still their experience of, you know, there's always a bigger fish. There's, you know, unless you are at the absolute top of your game, like the Shonda Rhimes, who I was lucky enough to work for for a number of years, you know, they are the biggest fish. But even they have unfulfilled dreams that are still trying to, you know, someone like that. Maybe Shonda wants an Academy Award. Maybe Shonda wants, you know, to win more mm-hmm. Emmys. Maybe she wants her Breaking Bad. You know, they still have things that are unfulfilled in their life. And I do find that. As I climb up their ranks, you know, you have these dreams. I, I, my dream is to be join the WGA. Check. My dream is to be a staff writer on a show. Check. My dream is to be a writer producer on a show. Check. My dream is to sell a feature. Check. My dream is to do this. You know, dream is to sell a show. And you, 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 you're able to do those things, and you're excited. The call comes in, and man, you get like this euphoria because most of our calls. We get a th- so many calls every day telling telling us no, <laughs> they don't like our work or they didn't connect or they're passing. And so suddenly, like I said, like another game of pachinko, but this time it's your own career, your scripts, the things you're trying to sell. One lands in the bucket and you know it's good news because your agents almost always email bad news and call with good news. So like mm-hmm. if the phone rings from your agency or your lawyer or your manager, most likely, unless it's truly awful news, which also sometimes happens, they're calling you with a good piece of information for you. So like you so exciting and, and Oh my God, I just sold something. I just, they, they want to buy my project. And then for me, and I can't speak for the other writers out there, but I know there are others like me that excitement lasts the true excitement. And like the serotonin burst lasts about 10 minutes, right? <laughs> literally. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, cool. <laughs> and you go out to lunch with your wife or something and you're still kind of like, and then you go to mm-hmm. sleep and you're excited. You've told your family and you kind of wake up going, did that really happen? That's really cool. But even by that moment, the anxiety has started to, to like creep in. Now I have to execute. Holy right. crap. Now I have to make this. Oh, is the deal going to fall apart? Is there going to be a bigger fish coming by? Like they're going to decide they don't want my project anymore. They want that similar project. And they're going to say, sorry, business affairs is backing out. You get all of your brain goes into overdrive. And I just... You know, I, there was a moment the other day where I was like, I, you know, I love to serve people know that. And I'm like in Hawaii, I think I had just come from a long day of set working with some of the people that I was in many years before I would have dreamed to have worked for. And, 
and I'm, I got good news about a project and I was surfing. I'm like, you know, you got to remember these. You got to try to hold on to this for a second because this is all good stuff. You know, on the other hand, I've also had cancer and, and all of those other things begin to kind of creep in. So it's like, how do you hold on to the good? It's sort of, and that's an ongoing process. I think we're all, most writers, you know, can't do that. There's not in our nature to, to do that. So like whatever makes us a writer also makes it very hard for us to hold on to that. So that's, you know, that's, that's part of the journey and that's something you need to, but you need to, you need to take all those wins and file them away somewhere because they really do need to offset the pain mm-hmm. of this job, which I just described last night on my own podcast as both the absolute best job in the world and the absolute worst job in the world at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I know. I'm just cracking up over here, nodding. And um, it's, I mean, it's like the the business side of it, the reality of it is, is so tough and it's so like ephemeral in many ways, like the way you're describing, like you just never know if something's going to disappear. Um, and it's the same thing. I mean, everyone I'm talking to, and even in my own experience, you know, like in book publishing and the writing world, um, there's so, there's so much to manage. There's so many different relationships to straddle. There's, you know, what's happening in the, the news cycle. There's just, there's, there's all these different variables that you can't control. Um, which I guess is kind of, part of the art of working in the industry as well. It's kind of like you have to, you have to be aware of all those factors to like stay on top of your game, stay on your toes in a way to like the pressure kind of forces you to always be at your best in a way. And like, I agree, it's incredibly stressful. I think it has also taught me to, um, really learn how to breathe (laughs) and be patient. Um, Like in my world in book publishing, like last year, there were just tons and tons and tons of editors who left the industry actually. So I have um, my second book is, is coming out. And, but, you know, as a result of that, I've had to be really, really patient because it's delayed everything. You know, if you have one person managing a project, they head out and it turns to somebody else. And, um, you know, and so in some ways it has forced me to get creative in other ways, like put my energy into other projects or even like focus on my health and my family and my own well-being. I'm sure you can relate to that, right? It's like this constant balancing act. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's good to talk about this stuff and get it out in the open because it's so normal. Um, yeah. So how are you managing all that now like is is being in hawaii has that been a really positive thing for you because it's like you're closer to home i imagine balance would be better there you're in nature yeah no i mean i mean living in hawaii is a dream come true and a lot of my recent career focus has been hawaii stories and telling you know i'm working on a project with my wife now on something that has some native my wife who is native hawaiian native hawaiian origins and you know, telling stories that are much closer to home for me, you know, not to say that's the only thing I do, but that's that being back here makes me realize what a world of stories I come from, you know, I, you know, I originally from here, from Kauai. So that, that does give me peace of mind and it does let me disconnect in a way that uh, other people 
who are in a day. And I think, you know, when you're first starting and you're young, go to LA because it's so exciting. There's nothing more exciting than getting your first general at Paramount or something. And you go through the gates and, you know, they're offering you water and you see Bo Bridges walking by and you see something and you're like, holy crap, this is actually really happening. You know, I have a, I have stages here and studios here because we actually shoot here in Hawaii, the show that I'm on. But so I get some of that experience and we get famous people coming through, but it's like, it's a little bit different, more nuanced than than what is happening there in Hawaii. And I will say, though, you know, back on the subject of sort of like doing the work, like I think what really baffles me sometimes, and it's this isn't, I don't mean to be disparaging because there's really two kinds of writers. There's the writers I like to write, and there's the writers I hate to write. And I actually think, in my experience, there are more writers I hate to write than than there are writers I like to write. It's really hard for them. And yet they still manage to get up every day and do the work. And I feel so blessed that I like to write. I, When I have an idea going, there's nothing that I want to do more than run to my keyboard and put it down on the page. And I feel like going back to that full circle to when I was in seventh grade or whatever. And I still get, I was just talking to a buddy of mine. Uh, we were playing a video game together. who's another writer. And we were like just chatting about our processes. And he, I know he likes to write too. And I was saying, like, I still get that feeling in my chest. It's like a weird discomfort. Like, I know that it's not going to go away until I go sit down and write something. And it doesn't even, I don't even know yet what I want to say. It just, and I know when I get that weird discomfort, I'll probably be writing better than other days where I just force myself to sit down at the keyboard and do the work. I will say that the one thing that is much harder about working from Hawaii is working from Hawaii. Like, it's gorgeous outside. And so there's like days where you're like looking out the window going, I sh- like, what am I doing? I need to uh, go surfing or go hiking or be outside. But I really have to like close my shades, turn on temperature control, like shut all that off because you do have a desire <laughs> in LA. It was different because it was like, it was hot or it was cold. Or I was like so much more in tune with just being in my office and doing the work all day. And the last thing I'll say on that subject for anyone who is, trying to figure out how to do the work and you're out there not doing the work. I think the moment you treat it as a job, like I will write late at night. Sometimes I will write on the weekend sometimes, but I I don't punish myself if I don't do those things. It's nine to five, nine to six. And I tell my other writer, co-writers that I work on projects with, like the weekends is my family time. Like I know you have a great idea and this can be all encompassing, but like setting those boundaries, really, if it's 11 o'clock, in the, in the morning, I shouldn't be playing video games. Like, I'll let myself go surfing or go, because that's exercise. I'll let myself get, like, an hour of exercise. That's what I do to go outside. But, like, keeping physically strong. But, like, get back to your chair and I'll look at my schedule and be like, okay, this is a – I have, like, two meetings and I have – um the rest is – this is three hours of writing, two hours of writing. What am I going to do? Am I going to work on a pitch? Am I going to work on a script? And I think, you know, you had a question about process. We – uh I think to succeed, you have to be writing, working on a lot of things at the same time. So it's managing what you're doing at that second in every day is sort of a big part of what the job is. Yeah, that's so funny that you say that because that's actually where I was going to go next because I find in my own experience that having a lot of different projects really helps me do better writing, right? I think it's just like having the constraint, the time constraint. Um, and almost every person I talk to who's working in a creative industry, like film or TV or music or journalism is in the same boat. You know, I think there's so many of us do 
our own writing, we're consulting, we're collaborating, we're teaching. There, there's like all of that. And I think it's good. It, like it keeps the work more well-rounded. It keeps you well-rounded. It keeps you plugged in so that you're not just like sucked into your own writing project. Um, so how do you manage that actually? Yeah. Like what's your process for prioritizing or making sure that they, like, you know, like it's like these bowling lanes that like each lane is like going. Uh, I mean, I, to be blunt money, really what's paying me, <laughs> yeah. like what is, what is paying me now? What is paying me the soonest? Now we, I'll call it cheating on myself. Like there's the project that I, I'm like secretly writing and I'll sometimes just go to it that, I, that is so far away from, from actually getting me any money. But like I told my wife, like, and my friends would be like, well, you've been on off a show for six months. And you know, I'm like, no, I'm not. My work is the same. It doesn't like I have to the, the script that sells two years from now, I'm running it right now. So that payoff, you have to you have to set the groundwork and you can't just rely on the things because the things that's paying you now, you were working on two years ago because that's how long the process is to actually get those jobs. But it, I mean, maybe it'll be interesting. I've never actually broken this down for someone uh, when I'm working on a show that show is the top priority, right? Because they are your, it covers your, all your bills. Like it's a dream job to be a staff writer on a show. The higher up you go, the more responsibilities you have. So I'm a super, I just finished supervising producer on NCIS Hawaii. So I'm getting closer to the top and so you have more things to do. So for them, I just, whether I'm going to set, covering set, in production meetings, writing a script, rewriting a script, in the room, which is a big part of our day, breaking stories. It's all every day is its own adventure of what that is and very full. Like you just like, I know this is the writing room time. This is the, um, uh, you know, these are all the, the assistants will send you my schedule. These are the meetings you got to take today. And these days we need you on set or on tech scouts. And because I live in Hawaii, I go to set often because we shoot here. The other writers can't always make it. And so I'm the guy that will show up a lot. So that's, that's like, uh, and my day starts in LA time and Hawaii time. So we, my day starts at like dawn LA time is, you know, obviously later. And then we start production and we go to, we shoot until like seven or eight or even later here. And so I'm sort of tracking that. That's a long day. So there are times in the middle of the day, I'll take a break. Cause it's like, I, it's like a 12 hour day and I'll be like, all right, one hour, two hours for me right now. And I got, to, I have my own podcast and a lot of writers don't, um, do any other work during that time. Like they'll come out having three or four years or however long they've been on the show. That's all they've done. And they really, when they get out, they have to catch up. I do believe though that you should write a new spec every year. So I will try to find time to write a feature and write a pilot every year. And that's my own time. That's night and weekend time. But, or we have like a two to three month hiatus. Sometimes I'll try to fit it in there, really get my own work done so that when I come out, the town isn't hasn't forgotten about me. My stuff has still been circulating. People kind of remember who I am. You can get forgotten on the show. But then when you're off a show, like I am right now, I'm on a, my, we don't know if it was season four. So we're waiting for the, that, the word of the pickup. And that means my contract's a little bit in limbo. We, uh, you have to self-motivate, get up every day and fill your day with your own stuff. And that's like, so I have, I did, we just sold a project to Netflix. So that's congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we I have a movie going into production in a month. That's also wow. top of the hopper if they have things they need from me. Um, then I have uh, 
two more pitches that we're about to go out with. So those are pretty high up because that's that's like potential payday coming soon. Remember, I have a family. I feed my, like we have yeah. to like keep generating income. So it's like, even though I, just for those who might be interested in this, we sold something for to Netflix. They said, yes, it could still be six months before we get paid. So that without the show, and I have a couple of things that were percolating from before, you might have a six month gap in your pay, even which it would lucky for me, I sold it like the moment I was like on break, I sold something. So that's as good as you can do. There still might be a six, but you really have to be ready with your stuff to go out or because if it takes you six months or a year, then it's two years before you get paid. And that's why it's like not a sustainable business for some people. So you really have to understand how to stack that work. Not that you want to, because you really just want to focus on one thing at a time, but the industry doesn't allow you to. You have to, like a producer will have eight projects, a writer also has to have their own slate that are all. And then I will be, uh, you know, obviously I like to write and and this other stuff is preparing pitches. It's writing, you're writing pitch documents and whatever, but it's prose, slightly different. So there are at least, there's probably three projects right now that I'm writing just for myself that are in different, maybe even four different places that I'll go back to when I have, when I'm in the mood to write one or the other, I have a thought for them and I move one forward for two hours and then go back to a pitch. And then there's like a board of just raw ideas. If I have one, because again, once you fill out a pitch board and you're done with it, it's done. And you have to go down to the next thing on your list of like what's coming up. And so it's a nonstop churn, which can be overwhelming too, of work that you're constantly having to self-motivate to do because nobody is telling you is, is until you sign until you have a producer attachment or a studio or network attachment, there's no one cracking the whip on you. So it could take you a week, it could take you a year, it could take you five years. So like you gotta, and I always think, well, my kids have to go to school, my kids have to have clothes. My it's a really big incentive to like get back in your chair every day mm-hmm. to, and do and keep moving. Yeah, yeah. I I really appreciate the description and relate to it a lot. And again, it's like something I'm just hearing over and over. And I think it's so um, refreshing that I want, you know, everyone listening to like learn about and get an inside glimpse into because there's, there's so much beauty and passion involved in this whole process. And I think it's so unique to be like a, a, a creative working in these industries because, you know, I'm trying to think it's not, you can't really, compare this to like straight up entrepreneurship, right? There's definitely an entrepreneurial angle here. There's a lot of hustle. You're constantly having to like um, anticipate the market and produce and self-motivate and all that like any entrepreneur would do. But it's so different from building a business because it's (laughs) you are your product, right? And that's, I, I guess that's the gift of it too. It's like you as a creative person, especially as a writer, you know, it's like you are the vehicle for the work and for the product, for the output. And so you are also simultaneously benefiting and it's serving you because you're getting to sort of be this um, generator of creativity. And then you see the result and you get to chase that high, like you were talking about earlier. Um, but it's so unique, you know, it's, it's such a unique way of living and working that can't really be compared to like anything else, I don't think. Would you agree with that? In part, I mean, I think that, you know, like, like it's, it's, it is entrepreneurship though. I was just thinking about that today. Like, it's like the better you are at business, 
like my like my luckily I have a business degree. Not that it helped me really, but it made me think about business and monies and dollars and cents. I have an econ degree. So I was like, you know, understanding that you are the business, you are the corporation, explaining that to when you're buying a house. Like, no, you have to have a corporation. It's just me. Like that's all. And it's just the output that I do. That's what, but then they're like, well, how do you know you get paid? I'm like, because look, I got paid. This is how it all works. But the, the, a little bit like a visual artist too, when you're making paintings, you know, unlike a visual artist who makes a painting, you know, they try to sell that painting. Often a lot of our work doesn't sell and you really can't begrudge that work that doesn't sell. You have to just consider it practice, you know, that we're still honing our and you're stealing sharp and you write a script that doesn't sell. Most of our stuff doesn't sell. It might have value later because you'd be like, you're up for this show about, you know, uh, equestrian zombies. And you're like, that's weird. I wrote a script about an equestrian zombie years ago that no one bought, but I have one. And they, they're like, wow, you, you think like I do. You're hired. So it's like those weird random things that sometimes will get you work. And the more samples you have, the more the easier it is for your reps to find the perfect sample to fit the show that you're being asked to go on. So, um, you know, but also understanding that, that like, you know, you are the business, you are in much better shape when you're not just waiting on one thing. Like you're like, I need to staff. And then there's a job that you get put up for and all your eggs are in that basket. And it it might go, it probably won't go because there's so much competition and, then you get heartbroken when it doesn't go. It's better when you're like, I got this thing, but I, I have scripts all over the place. There's there's all pitches, there's things, and you get a call and you won't even remember, you won't know what the phone's ringing for because you mm-hmm. you have enough out there and enough people are reading and there's enough things that like, and I, I always say to people like, I think people, a lot of my writer friends got caught up with that one really good script they wrote early on. And they just tried to get it made and they've heard stories about be passionate to me 20 years to make my movie. I'm like, okay, great. Be passionate. It can take 20 years to make your movie, but keep writing scripts. Like you can't you need to knock on many doors at the same time. You can't just be knocking on the same door with the same script because that is not a recipe to actually succeed in this business. Mm-hmm. So, and are you unique in this way of, you know, in your industry of being able to be like, producing so much writing so much and then also being like on staff is that are you unique in that way or would you say that most people who are kind of navigating the business and staying afloat are doing the same thing as you uh, I think I'm my reps say I'm slightly more prolific than their other writer clients like I'll put out more I'm not saying that stuff's always very as good a lot of people like there's some people who will spend two years and like it'll be amazing and I might spend put out four things in that time you know what I mean so not mm-hmm. all amazing but like I like I worked through that story and I worked through that story. So you know, there's the different w- approaches are different. I do feel like most people have about it. This is like professional sports. You have like a ten year window before you get put to pasture. Often, like if ten years is a long career in screenwriting, and luckily mm-hmm. there there is ageism. It used to be like we're considered like anyone over forty is considered like you know, an old writer in Hollywood, there's like a 40 and old, old bird, like there's different committees and whatever. But luckily now, and in a TV writing world, especially you were like put to pasture. It was a young person's game because you were in the room for like 20 hours a day and especially comedy. But I think that's changing a lot of older people staying really talented writers who are 50 and 60, a lot of show experience. Why would you throw all of that away? I think mm-hmm. that is that, that is changing a bit, but I do find that 
the high like like a little bit in TV is a little bit different than features, but TV is like the military. There's we have different levels: a staff writer, you know, a story editor, executive story editor, all the way up to producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer, and then executive producer, which is the top showrunner. And the higher up you are, the more when you send a script to someone, they take it seriously. And the more when you try to sell something to a network, they take it seriously because they know you put the work in. They know that you've been on, you've been on a lot of staffs. You put the years in that you're not. There's some really talented young writers who have done one script. And the question on the table is, can they execute this idea that they have? The way, and they don't know to take them eight years to write that one script or... Is that the level that they're at at all times? And the more, the longer you're in it, the more comfortable the execs are selling you above up the chain. They're everyone sort of covering their own ass. They don't want to hire a new writer, him fail miserably, and then they're out this big fee, right? They would rather. So I guess the higher, uh, the the point in all of that is like, you really have incentive to work hard, and I don't think I'm that different than other people at my level who are trying to maximize this period in their life where people do answer your phone call and they do want to read you and they do. So you do have a moment and, and that moment might go away. And even showrunners, eventually their phones stop ringing. Right. And you, someone, many people have said this on my podcast. So I'm not the first to say this, but Hollywood, uh, never, you never get fired in Hollywood. Hollywood can't fire you. You can get fired from a job in Hollywood, but Hollywood itself can't fire. You can still, you are still a screenwriter. You are a WGA writer. But the big caveat is the only way you know you're fired is if your phone stops ringing. Like nobody's mm-hmm. calling you anymore. And then that's a real problem. And that's a whole other problem where you can have other people on your show who have had to self-invent many times because their phone did stop ringing. And then they, but they wanted to continue. So they had to do something spectacular. And that's normally what that is, is writing their way out of that problem. Like they're writing a genre that's kind of dead. They have to write into a new genre. They have to do something that gets the spotlight back on them. And that is like, you know, if we, thinking back about it, like you could be a plumber and you like being a plumber. If you like being an accountant, that there's just so much less uncertainty than the job that we are in today. So like, that's why we say, full circle way of saying, man, the highs are high, but the other stuff is really hard. And it's really hard in a way that's not hard for a plumber. Like you might not like the plumber's work. There might be a hole, there might be a leak, but they are not taking that personally on a core ego level, really. They fix the leak or whatever. They say, sorry, you have old pipes. Like in our case, when someone doesn't like our work, you take it really personally. And that's something you have to overcome. But like, that's 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 also really hard. I mean, like, I didn't like this. And you're like, what you're really saying, what it feels like is, you don't like me, right? And that's that's difficult to separate yourself. And of course, you learn how to, and it's just the work, and not everyone responds to it. And there's ways you can, you know, overcome that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of being a working person in any of these creative industries is just like learning to just handle rejection and just accept it as like you know an almost daily thing. And I mean, that's part of why I love your show too. Is it just like normalizes that experience and you're you know you're interviewing such um incredibly successful people who talk really openly about that and um it's the same thing in my industry you know as a you know if you start out as like a freelance journalist you're constantly pitching and you're constantly hearing no and you just keep going and going and going eventually you know if if you keep at it it leads to books and you know all that stuff um 
One thing I wanted to ask you about is your experience working with managers and agents, actually. Um, did, did you have to work with like a few different ones before you settled into like one that was a really good fit? And do you feel like that um, has been a big part of your success? Because I think this is unique. Not every creative industry relies so heavily on agents and managers. Yes, I'm on. I mean, yes and no. I am on my third set of agents. Sometimes you outgrow each other. So that's also, or they leave the business. So it's not always like one is firing the other. It's, and sometimes it never really was a good fit. You guys, they're, they're your creative partner. And I'm on my third set of managers, but I've been with my same management group for over a decade. So once the third, I found the third one, we sort of locked in and we have nice rhythms with each other and we grew together and this, you know, I'm not, you know, that's, that's, that works well for me. So it's like, and, and my, my relationship with my agents also work well right this second, but this is a newer relationship. So not a decade old. So like the, the, you do, and there's different reps who are better for you at different times in your career. Some are really good at launching young writers and some are really good at staffing and some are really good at feature films and some are really good at, so like if your career is moving into a different area, you might want to find the person that that has those relationships that's going to help you because you're paying a big chunk of your, and I've only been with one lawyer, by the way. So my lawyer has been the same mm -hmm. the entire time. The, uh, that's 25% of your paycheck is going to all of these different people. I have nine people, I think, on my team that, you know, I have to pay out. So for, and, and, and they're paying, you're paying them because they're finding you work. So it's all worthwhile, but it's like, you want to make sure those relationships are working for you and another time when we have more time, you know, there's a whole discussion to be had about managing your managers and managing your agents because the expectation doesn't meet the reality. And it's not the agent or manager's fault, it's the expectation's fault. And you have to learn how to best use your managers and have them work for you the most effectively. And it took me years, I think, to know how to do that better. Like, and that was, that's a whole, like, you know, different discussion for a different time. That's something for people to think about. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay, so you mentioned you have nine people. So I mean, I know like the manager, agent, lawyer. What other people are in your orbit to like well, make this all? Multiples. All of these people work in teams now. Mm -hmm. uh, I have okay. eight people. I have four, four people on my management team, team, and then there's more because there's actually the coordinators and the assistants. So like, but there's four key managers for me, and then I have three agents at the agency, and then I have one lawyer. And that doesn't include any of their people that are supporting them. So there's eight, that's a team of eight. And then I have an accountant, but that's a very different, that runs my corp. So like, that's mm -hmm. like, you know, that, that just keeps this operation moving forward. Yeah. And you know, so sometimes you get paid really well, but a lot of that pay is going out to supporting this. And that sort of all works in synergy if it's working well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this makes the case even more that this really is like business. <laughs> You know, because you're, I mean, what you're describing is like a, an entity, like a little organization. And it's just different. Everyone's sort of working on a contractual basis. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, and then for sure. And then we're, when you're working on a show, it's a bunch of little businesses merging for a while mm. to make something. And not only in writing, there, there's a bunch of the best, you know, everyone who works on a show is really has talented craftsmen and artists themselves, whether it's set deck or costumes or whatever directors and they're all little corporations and so hollywood is made up of 
thousands of little corporation artistic corporations that come together to make mm-hmm. a product just in a particular time and space and then separate again and make create a new form to create a new project in a different you know time and space and form so that's that's sort of how the business side but it is show business it is it is a business and we are doing it it's just too much work i mean i you know there are times where i do you know working for free it's like yes of course you have to and it's because you love to do it but i you know thank god you get paid because it's just there's such a it's it's emotionally draining at all times and so i don't think any of us really get paid to write we get paid for all the other stuff that we have to deal with emotionally the writing Mm -hmm. is the fun part Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point um yeah this theme again has come up quite a bit like just the 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 temporary nature of this, you know, just like you were describing all of these incredible people coming together to produce something and co-create something. And then like, it's over and you move on to the next thing. And it's like, you're just sort of like different temporary villages at all times. Um, which I think is also like, so rewarding. Um, I, I would love to hear about where you are, wanting to move creatively next um i mean your background is so interesting you you know you've studied so many different things and um do you feel particular inclinations in the future of your work like are you wanting to look at i don't know like science stories or romance or like where are you headed um i love uh Again, where I'm headed right now is is a lot of Hawaii stories, but I feel like there's there is, uh, you know, I have a feature supposedly going into production soon too. So I I, I write in a lot of different genres. I I've been working primarily in network television, so that's you know not exclusively, but that's I've done a lot of network TV shows, which used to be like the prestige was in streaming. But then people are realizing, holy crap, the careers are in network because there's 22 episodes and there's more work and there's residuals and the whole system got a little broken and streaming. But then we sold a streaming show. So like it, it depends on I get excited about characters and worlds and things. And I do write across genres. So I'll write anywhere from we're pitching a light comedic procedural to my the movie going to production is a horror thriller. So like it it crosses. It's like what what are these characters getting thrown into these unique positions if i there's a hawaii angle great because that'll allow me to live in hawaii longer with my family and and give jobs to people in hawaii on the production level but the movie that i wrote is not set in hawaii a lot of my features and whatever they're they're everywhere but about 75 percent of my current focus is like hawaii-based ideas that i feel like i can execute and hopefully to get to a point where again working with my wife who's on as a producer on my latest project uh helping other people in Hawaii get their projects made. That's a real big goal of ours, but that's like, I feel like I need to have my own TV on the show on the air first. Once that happens, I feel like I'll be in a better space to support and nurture people coming up and helping them get their shows on the air to really help with the, you know, Hawaii film community in my way. And the other people are helping it in their own way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And what is it looking like right now for Hawaii? I mean, you mentioned Lost earlier, um, obviously, which did so much and was a huge success. Um, are there sort of big productions like Lost in the works or what is it looking like? I mean, for me or for Hawaii? For Hawaii. Oh, yeah. No, there's, I mean, NCIS Hawaii that I work on is a mass, employs 240 people. There is, uh, you know, 
Mag, there's Lilo and Stitch is going back into production right now. So there's another hundreds of people that are that are employed. There's always productions coming through. The idea is what we what the people here in Hawaii that are writing and you know both above the line and below the line. I hate the, actually the term above the line because we're all just people making movies on different parts of the industry. But what we're, we're all I think what we're all unified in trying to do is to try to keep the the voices and the stories you know, about Hawaii being told from Hawaii. And, and so, so more native voices, more indigenous voices, and then also uh, making sure that the department heads are from Hawaii. Cause a lot of times these productions have to fly in department heads because they don't have, they, they just, you know, haven't yet found the department heads here or trusted the department heads here. And there's a lot of really talented workers here. So crew, so really moving up everyone so that the dream, my dream would be to have a, thing that is written in Hawaii, starring people from Hawaii, crewed up by people from Hawaii, and something that relates to a much larger audience. That is the goal that not only I am working towards, but a lot of people are working forward towards a, a lot of different angles. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, you don't often hear about these sort of like hyper local angles within the film and TV industry. And I mean, I imagine with, you know, the other big previous productions, like I don't know, Jumanji and Jurassic Park or maybe even Moana to an extent. I'm not sure. You, you, you would know way more than me. But um, has that been a recurring theme to try to get kind of like local representation or is this sort of a newer movement? No, I mean, it's it's, it's hopefully been going on for a while. I've good, my good friends wrote the Moana movie and a friend of mine is just hired to write the Lilo and Stitch movie. So like it's getting better, you know, for sure about but a lot of times there are things that are coming in from the outside people writing about Hawaii that haven't spent any time here and so that's that's also sort of you know there's both pros and cons of that one the pros is there's another show set in Hawaii that's great because it's work for everybody and the cons are sometimes you really got to work strive to get the authenticity correct so like that's because they some people if you don't live in Hawaii you're not going to have an understanding of what it's of what Hawaii is all about so that's that's you know those are some of the challenges, but the goal really here is, and there's some um, bills and legislation on the table too, to help support it is make sure we have enough facilities, stages, workers, you know, because this is a really, Hawaii shouldn't just rely on tourism, that f- the film industry is a huge moneymaker for the state. And that is something that we give real jobs to people a lot. This is not just hospitality, but careers where they can have homes of their selves, no matter what they're doing, whether they're a grip or, or, you know, a gaffer or or work in construction or painting or set deck or greens, like these are careers for people and it's hundreds of of people that get to work. So, you know, there's, there's uh, obviously whether or not someone's actually from Hawaii, who's written the show, if a show comes to Hawaii, it's going to provide all of these jobs for people. So that's, that's, you know, and trying to get that to continue and to grow is the goal and for that to happen we need more facilities we need more stages but that's all that's all happening and that's been in the works for years and people a lot of people are working to make that happen and it's i've been happy to be part of that when i came back it was like this is my dream too let's all work together to make this happen that's awesome i love that um well, is there anything else you'd want to share with our listeners, like in terms of just advice or navigating the industry or tapping into, you know, your own creativity or, you know, I'm so impressed with the range of your experience and background. Yeah. Like if, if 
if you want to do this, you got to love it, okay? Because if you don't love it, there's so many better things you can do. But if you do love it, then don't give up. Because it's not, this isn't, this, this business doesn't reward people who've only, who only give it three years, who only give it five years. This, if you look at a lot of the people that you, your careers, you, you really want to emulate, it took them six, eight, 10 years to get their first break. And then even then it took longer after that. Listen to my podcast, Screaming the Hollywood Abyss. There's a hundred and I think 14 interviews as of today of mostly showrunners who talked about getting fired, leaving a show, having to fold shirts, like, like. But now they've reached the pinnacle of the business where they're creating shows and their visions are on the air. So, like, if you love it, stick with it. Don't give it up. Don't let anyone squash your dreams. And if you don't love it, please, God, do anything else because it's too hard to stay in for someone who doesn't love it. I love that. Okay, great advice. Um, we'll end there. Thank you so much. Um, it's it's great to connect. Great to hear about all your experience. I'm so excited about what you're up to in Hawaii. And um, everyone who's listening, please go check out Noah's podcast, Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss. Thanks, Noah. Thank you so much.